This is episode 79 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore events podcast. We're finishing up Men's Roundup 2010 with Bill Thrall. This is session four from Sunday morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. You know, I normally start my session by asking you a question. What have you heard? I'm going to change it a little bit right now and want you to think about my statement. Um, What have you heard the Lord say to you this weekend? What have you heard? Excuse me? Come together with other men. Thank you. What else? Raise your hand so I can. What have you heard the Lord say? The Lord, you took my shame upon yourself at the cross. To love and be open-minded. Thanks. I'll take care of you. Isn't that wonderful? You heard the Lord say, I'll take care of you. Somebody else. The Lord allowed me to give some forgiveness to others. Trust. Trust. What else? Please. Foundability. To let you have access to me. Ow. Yeah, with our sins in front of us and not between us. A couple other men, what did you hear the Lord say? Yes, sir. Amen. Don't be afraid of your story. People aren't going to walk away from you. They actually need you. Isn't that great? What else did you hear? Amen. Oh, amen. 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 I was given, uh, by the way, I've really enjoyed this experience. It's a great place. This is a really unique event. You know that. That's why you keep coming back. I was given a real gift last night. I don't want to tell you about it. Um, when I was in Bible college, I was 18 years old, the president of the college asked me to come into a his assistant, asked me to come into her office one day, and I was kind of afraid of what I had done wrong this time. And uh, I got a lot of demerits in that Bible college. Um, And so I went in to see her. Her name was Eleanor, and Eleanor sat me down, and at the time, I'm guessing Eleanor was 28 to 30. I was 18, and I never expected to hear what she said to me, and she said this to me, Bill, I I believe God's hand is upon you and I'm committing to you today that I will pray for you every day the rest of my life. Fifty years later, she passed away, but she prayed for me every day. And last night, one of the men here came up to me to hug me and to say to me that he believes the Lord would have him pray for me every day the rest of his life. Or my life. Guys, I want to tell you, that's a profound gift. That is a profound gift. So I want to thank you, and I definitely want to thank that brother. And I will know, in the experience of my life, his prayers. What I want to do this morning... And believe it or not, I still have a few things I'd like to share with you. Okay? We're not done yet. 
And what I'd like to do this morning is I want to take you through this third stage of this awakening exchange and breakthrough. I want to read to you as we begin just this, these words. The awakening is the reality that I awaken to the pain of not being able to control my life the way I thought I could. This is in your handout. Stuck with unresolved life issues whose symptoms I am trying to solve without help from others. And then last night I talked with you about the exchange, encountering God's protective love in my relationship, who asked for permission to access my life in exchange for their protection. And some of you left last night asking the question, what does that look like? Really, what does it look like? What is this exchange that's taking place between us as brothers, between my wife and I, my children and me? John, I'd ask you to come up here. John will be my guinea pig. Let me try to illustrate it for you. John is my brother in Christ. I don't know what they are, but John has some life issues. And the guy who's talking has some life issues. Now, I can make a mistake, and I can go to him, and I can say to him, I'm really concerned you're all screwed up. (laughs) Or I can say this to him. Would you give me permission to stand alongside you in the things that you are most concerned about? Understand that? You hear what I just did? Would you give me permission? And brothers, I want to say what I said last night as clearly as I know how to say it. Never, ever, ever try to access another life without permission. And then I need to say to this man, would you be willing if I give you permission to stand alongside me? See that? You hear that? Would you be willing if I give you permission to stand alongside me? That's an exchange of permission. It's an amazing difference in the way most of us have been taught relationally. We somehow have learned that what I do is I come to John and I dump on him all my concerns about him and then I leave him to work on it. (laughs) Let me tell you something about John. There ain't anything I'm going to tell him about him that he doesn't already know. And listen, guys, if he could have worked on it, he would have years ago. That's what we're talking about. Thanks, John. Some of you are asking, oh, man, Bill, i got to go home today. Uh, Where do I begin? (laughs) i got to go home today. i I got some stuff I want to share with my wife, and oh, boy. Guys, before you dump the stuff, make sure that she's safe enough 
in her trust of you. Make sure you're willing to tell her that she's safe so you can trust her. A lot of your wives actually don't want to know about your stuff because they don't believe you're ever going to do anything with it. So I'm going to say this to you really carefully, men. There's a process here. You need to be willing to begin at the place of earning her trust. Humble yourself and start there. These are important words to a woman. Honey, what do I need to do to earn your trust so I can share with you stuff that I believe God has designed you to help me with? Now, women are real smart. And her first response is going to be this, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? Is this another scheme? Is this going to end in the bedroom? What do you want? What if you told her what I want is I want to be able to trust you, honey, with me and I don't know how. That's what I really want. Because men, that's what you desperately need. I'd like you to look at this next section with me. It's called the breakthrough. It sounds like this. Experiencing breakthroughs from unresolved life issues into the health and legacy God planned for me before the world began. Experiencing breakthrough from unresolved life issues into the health and legacy God planned for me before the world began. Do you remember those verses we started with? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. You see, we're back to this place. We're back to the realization that God actually has a destiny for every man in here. Brothers, I obviously, I don't know your passion. I, I don't know what it is that aches deep inside of you because you're a believer. But I want to tell you something. Until you experience a breakthrough... Your life is quenching your destiny. It's quenching your destiny. Let's catch this today. What could be more important for a man than to do the thing for which God designed him? Could there be something more important for a man than that? I don't think so. So wouldn't it be great if somehow we were able to understand that if we're going to do this reality of God's exaltation, it's going to take us, beginning with humility, to trust God and others with who I really am. Look at this first statement. 
I experience increasing freedom from a shame-based life story. The protector, God, and others listen to my heart to discover the shame that drives my behavior. Here, I'll repeat this, and you've heard it many times from me this weekend. I'll repeat it. When I can't trust you with me, when I cannot trust you with me, you never get to deal with the real me. You never get to live with the real me, and you never get to love the real me. So what I want to understand something with you, brothers, is this. There is something that is causing me to never let you know the real me. It's called my shame. My shame causes me to hide from you. And it is breaking the heart of God. So what do we want to do? We want to understand something. They're only words, but when I believe them, they change my life. Only God's grace expressed in love has the ability to break the power of my shame. Only God's grace expressed in love has the ability to break the power of my shame. Until I let God and you in because I trust you and you can love me, my shame is going to define me. And by the way, I'm called a Christian. In your first outline, I had you uh, skip this little um, construct, and I want to come to it this morning. I'd like to go to your first outline. There are some really critically important theological issues that I want to make sure we cover today. And they have to do with this construct. Uh, those two lines, one says working on my life is sin issues, and the other says trusting who God says. Those two lines are just a continuum of our life. If you wanted to, you could add the words working on my life issues as well as my sin issues. This is a theological construct. If we get it, it changes our worldview. Here it goes. If I work on the top line... draw an arrow down, if I work on the top line to become godly, you hear that? Who God says I am. If I work on the top line to become godly, I am a sin management manager. And working on my sin, guys, hear me carefully, working on my sin will never make me godly. That cannot be true. No, it just happens to be true. Watch this. Learning to trust who God says I am as the basis of my faith, draw an arrow upward, when I learn to believe who God says I am, I have therefore a basis to work on my sin issues. Working on who God says I am gives me a foundation to work on my sin issues. The bottom line 
is the principle of grace. Working on my sin to become godly is a principle of law. You know what the principle of law is? The principle of law is to show man that he is unrighteous. That is the principle of law. It's to show man he is unrighteous. So guess what happens if you read Romans, for instance, in chapter 7? What happens is you learn something. The more I work on my sin, the more I am convinced I am unrighteous. Well, that's a happy day. So what do I want to learn? I'm going to have you just think with me this morning about three things. There's many, but I only want to talk about three things. I'm going to have you write them below those words, trusting who God says I am. I'm going to read the first one to you. It's in Romans chapter 5. This is who God says I am. Romans chapter 5. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Now, how many of you believe that that is true? Just raise your head. How many of you believe that you are sinners? Amen. I agree, you are. Okay? Now listen to the rest of this. This is the critical first, first thing I want you to hear. And so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now here's the question. How many of you believe you are righteous? Really, really important, guys. Really important. Put your hands down. Really important. Here's the point. At the, at the place called Calvary, Jesus Christ, through his death, made you righteous. Right. Gentlemen, listen. Just as true as you are a sinner because of Adam, you are a saint, a righteous one because of Christ. Your righteousness is not something you're going to work at to get. It's something that's true about you. So the first thing you're going to write under that bottom line is this. God made you right. He made you righteous. It isn't some just legal term possible in the heavenlies. It's a practical term. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers, because you are righteous, you have a new identity 
that is not rooted in shame. And you stand before God not condemned. You know what our shame does? Our shame condemns us every day. Every day. Every day. The first word, first phrase is God has made you right. The second is this. It's true about you. God has given you life. God has given you life. Careful of your understanding of those words. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Be real careful now. You get this. He did not give you an eternal life that begins when you die. He gave you an eternal life that begins the day you're born again. And you have that life. That life is foundational, if you believe it, to something that God says is true about you. He not only made you right, but he gave you a life by which you could do right. Can you just imagine the miracle of grace? I saw you all. You all raised your hand. You're all, sinner! Can't do right. Wrong. In Christ you've been made right, so you could do right. It's in you. We have to believe it. And these are the words of Jesus. This is why this kind of weekend is so important for me to share these things with you men. Because it's this. What is the expression of the rightness of the life we have in Christ? It's called love. Do you know what the right expression is? It's called love. Never mix this up. Never mix it up. The reality of your righteousness is never measured in how little you sin. The reality of your righteousness is always measured in how well you give and receive love. And can you, this, just, this, is, this is really important in this sense. In John chapter 8, it says this. So if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now for many of us, theologically we've been taught that what that means is, I am free from the power of sin. Amen. It ain't all that it teaches. Here's what it's saying. Because that bottom line is about who God says you are. You have been made right. You have been given a life so that you can do right. It is in the doing of love that we experience freedom. It is the doing of love that expresses that we are free. Remember that little exchange we went through last night? Can you imagine how freeing it is to be able to be in a community of people, in a family with a wife and children, where our stuff is always in front of us and never between us? Do you have any idea how freeing that is? Do you have any idea how freeing it is when we aren't as afraid of the sin in our brother as we are in our confidence in the grace of God in spite of that sin? That's freedom, brothers. That's a lot of freedom. 
I'll tell you a story. I, my wife and I met with the leader of a very large Christian mission, missionary organization in San Diego. And this leader and his wife, their marriage um, was really, really in crisis. Uh, she was an extremely unhealthy and unhappy woman, and he wasn't much help because he was all about the task. And so they agreed to meet with us. They were having lunch on a little restaurant right on the beach in San Diego, and we're talking, and I'm trying to respond, and we're do I'm doing my thing, and they're listening. And at about 2 o'clock, he says, why don't we take a break? And listen, Bill and I are just going to take a little walk, and I'm going, uh-oh, this isn't working. And he said, why don't you girls just go and shop there, those little shops. And so we went for a walk. It's about me, but it's a compliment to God. That's where I'm going with this. And he said to me on our walk, Bill, I appreciate what you're trying to do. But he said, you guys, guys like you who grew up in Christian homes and who have had all of the privileges of life, you don't get us guys and why we do what we do. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said to him the words I said to him a moment ago. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, um, boy, did you ever give God a compliment just now? Boy, you gave God a compliment. I said, I don't know how you grew up, but I'll trade war stories with you and I bet I win. And I bet I win. Now, what I'm saying by that is this. If he could say many years later that for some reason he didn't see the evidence of the garbage that defined me as a boy and a young man and a young Christian, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. He didn't believe me. He said, I just, how can that be? I want to tell you, part of it is this. He was in the bondage, having never been free, because he, even as a missionary leader, he had never learned what I'm teaching you today. He had never learned to believe that God had made him right and that God had given him a life that he could do right, expressing itself in love. The third thing I want you to write that is true about you, and it changes the way we live, Because you are a Christian, God has given you place. He's given you place. You know what he's done? He's placed you into his family as his child. I want to just read that to you. I know you know it's there, but I want to read it to you. So then, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen what he's done. You know who you are? 
Your shame will never let you believe that you have this incredible place in the family of God, but you do. Your place is important. You know, when the scripture tells us that we as sinners are lost, it means we don't have a place. And you know what it's like to live when you don't have a place? It exaggerates your shame because you don't think you have value. Do you know how important you are to God? Let me just tell you something. you know how important you are to God? He did a few miracles at a place called Calvary for you. Just a few. Here's one of them. He took you from never having a place to having a permanent place. Now, I've only chosen these three things because of time and because of understanding, but I want to share something with you. When I, as a Christian, can say to my God, I believe, God, that you have made me right. I believe, God, that you have given me life. And I want to learn how to give and receive love. And I believe, God, that you have given me place. It changes everything about you. Here's one of the realities of Calvary. You can't do anything to make yourself right. You can't do anything to give yourself life. And you can't do anything to give you a right place with God. You can't do it. And you all go, yeah, I believe that. Now watch carefully as a Christian. And you can't do anything as a Christian to rob you of the fact you're right. You can't do anything as a Christian to rob you of your life. And you can't do anything to rob you of your place. We have spent generations in Christian circles trying to figure out how to get life right by working on all kinds of schemes that will somehow help us manage our sin. Guys, could just get a big shovel and bury it in the backyard somewhere. It isn't, isn't going to work. This is the breakthrough. Guys, I never, ever again have to see myself defined by my shame. For that is not who I am. And that is not who you are. Let this theology not overwhelm you. Let it, in fact, transform you. Because if we believe this, it is like our salvation. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. The way you received Jesus was you said, I needed a savior because I can't. And the way you walk as a Christian is this. I need you every day to trust you, God, because I can't. But you can, and I need you. So let's go back to our outline for this morning. I wanted to share that with you because some of you have been asking me about that response. Look at the next one. Number two, I am aware that resolving one life issue can change my life 
my marriage, my key relationships forever. Forever. Until my wife took me for that drive. I knew the gospel and I preached it and taught it and tried to get young people to accept Jesus as well as I knew how. But I didn't know the significance of how the resolution to those issues in my life that were driven by my pain would change me. This is a privilege, men. This is a privilege for me to stand in front of you today and teach these things. This is a privilege. In my 20s and early 30s, when I was in the bondage of my unresolved life issues, I wept often over the fact that I thought I was disqualified to ever do anything for God. I was wrong. Brothers, this is a privilege to stand in front of you today. The decision to trust my wife with me and to trust others with me, the continuing decisions to stand alongside and to be protected has freed this guy. And I get to go to a lot of places today to talk to men like you and women about these principles. And God's using it. How can somebody so screwed up be used of God? Because there aren't any other kind. <laughs> We're just not willing to admit it. There aren't any other kind. Be careful. Don't make the disciples super saints. They were guys just like you and me who decided something. They decided to believe who Jesus was. And they decided to believe what he had done for them. And when they trusted who he was and what he had done, they couldn't contain the message of their life. And they changed the world. I told you this earlier, I have a great concern, a great concern for how little we as Christians are impacting our culture today. Very great concern. They don't need us brothers to tell them they're screwed up. They need us to love them in the fact they're screwed up. And until we understand that, we're never going to change this world. Look at this, last, this next point. I am aware that resolving one life issue can change my life, my marriage, my family forever. And there, there are just these four things. You can put them all up there, please. These are these four things that I've talked about this weekend. How does this become real? Because I, I need to choose humility. 
Am I willing to trust who God says I am? Am I willing to trust God with me? Am I willing to be vulnerable enough to give one other person permission to who I am? You know my words. You know my thoughts. The next time, the next time there's something in your spirit that bothers you about your wife, instead of criticizing her, what if you offered to come alongside her and protect her in her weakness? She will ask, what have you done with my husband? <laughs> what were you guys drinking up on that retreat? See, I have to decide if I'm going to receive protection. And then I've got to decide, am I really going to trust the truth? You could add these words. Am I really going to trust the truth of who God says I am? Wow. And then look at the last point. Number three, because this is what happens. God trusts me with expanded influence that I never thought was possible. And the last little point says, I am able to prepare, you could write the words, I'm able to prepare my family, my friends for the unsafe places of life. Some of you have been through this phase of your life. Some of you are moving into it. Teenagers have an interesting effect on us as parents. And some of us who've gone through this have learned this, and others of us haven't learned it yet. I want to tell you something. Teenagers have the ability, out of their needs, to require from us what we cannot give them if we, if we have unresolved issues. Let me say it again. Teenagers have the ability to require of us because of their needs what we cannot give them if we have unresolved issues. I'm going to tell you something, man. Your unresolved issues are robbing your children of you. And your teenagers intuitively know it. And they're going to really challenge you. For their sake, men. For their sake. Trust somebody with what is true about you. So your kids will get your best. Many, many, many fathers struggle with letting their kids trust them because they know they have unresolved stuff. But I'll tell you this, if no one else has, the greatest gift you can give your children is to teach them to trust you. Because without that trust, they will limp into life, only carrying with them 
the legacy of your unresolved issues. Ouch. So here I am, closing and saying to each of us what I started with. Here it is. Unless our theology touches our reality, we don't understand God's grace. At least to the best of my ability so far, I'm going to tell you something. I've attempted this week and to get you men in touch with your reality so you can trust the grace of God to break the power of the unresolved in you. Can I pray with you, please? <clears throat> Father, we would ask you to, uh, Spirit of God, would you convince us that you really did make us new. That it isn't a theological kind of theory, but it's a reality. Would you convince us, me, us, that you made me right? You changed me. You've given me a life that can express itself in love. And for this guy and for many of us, wow, I'm so glad you gave me a place. The security of that, I believe, Father, when trusted, keeps us as men from searching in all the wrong places for acceptance. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Bill a thank you.